whenever someone says gut feeling, instantly no. Go back to the drawing table. You need to come to us with some piece of data or at least an expected result, not just I want to create this to create this. It's like, no. That's how you progress anything in business. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing Podcast, a show that dives into the best strategies, tactics, and tools for entrepreneurs and marketers looking to exponentially increase their results online. Hey everyone, welcome back to All About Digital Marketing. This is Travis Ketchum. Today we have Bailey Pru. How's it going, Bailey? It's going good. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing great. You know, it sounds like you used to be a PNW boy from what I hear, you know, but I, now you're down in Arizona. I, I am. Yes, I did grow up up there. And then I realized what the sun was like. So I moved out to Las Vegas, now Arizona. And now, um, yeah, now there's sun all the time. Except for here, it's kind of weird because in Arizona, in the summer, we do have rain every single day. I don't think anyone knows that. Is, is it early afternoon? Yeah, yeah, you know, it comes in and it rains really hard, like like more than Washington hard for like a half an hour and then it's gone. And just all the time this happens every single day this whole last couple of weeks, which is nice, you know. I think we need some some water out here. For sure. I actually used to live in New Mexico uh, as a kid and and then in high school I went on an 85-mile hike in northern New Mexico and you could wow. set your watch by the 1 p.m. rains. Oh yeah. Yep, it's <laughs> it's pretty similar to that or at nighttime I'll wake up and I just hear it like a lot of rain smashing against my place. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit hit and miss, but it definitely has its rainstorms. That is for sure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, good for you. So, you know, we have you on here today because we love to talk about digital marketing and businesses. And, you know, can you give us a little bit of a, kind of a quick background about what your business is? And then we can dive into an area I think should be of top importance for every entrepreneur, because this is one thing that everyone should know, but almost nobody actually knows. Yeah. Yeah, so my background came with actually moving out to Vegas to help out a gentleman named Calic and I. And I was basically his I was basically like first employee. He had a salesperson on board and uh, we basically helped grow the company from zero to sixty million in about four years. So in that process, we were a info product business and we hired all the best agencies. Uh, none of them made us any money. And so at that time I went out to an event in Barcelona talking about very, very high-end media buying things for e-com and lead generation and realized that nobody in the info space was doing this type of media buying because the margins were so good compared to these other types of niches. They had really high volume, really low margin. The things they had to test were, um, were just... You know, they just had they had to, right? Compared to digital marketing, they go, yeah, I'm at five to one. I don't need to go and test these things. So I ended up taking over the marketing in-house, um, scaled that company, as, as I said, and then branched off and started the agency because we knew that there was a need inside the market because, again, we hired all the best agencies and a lot of them lacked in different areas. So I started the agency about two, two and a half years ago now, um, specializing in high tickets, masterminds, or webinars, VSLs, basically, again, high, high end ticket info things. Sometimes we do book funnels on the front end and events. Um, and yeah, now we work with some of the top people here in the digital marketing space and generated I think we're over 90 or $100 million in revenue now generated in the last few years. And uh, yeah, it's kind of the short story about how we got into digital marketing and what we uh, specialize in here. Awesome. I have an idea of what my definition of high ticket is. Mm -hmm. But what is your definition of high ticket and sort of like what does a dream funnel look like for a client that you want to work with? Yeah, dream funnel definitely is VSL, uh, video sales letter to booked call. Let's call um, average cost, you know, the hundred to to four hundred dollars, mattering on the niche. Uh, typically, our most successful clients have a six thousand to a ten thousand dollar product, and then a twenty to a thirty thousand dollar product on the back end of that. So, and then a down sell to like a course. So, for example, 
they get on the phone, they're trying to usually sell them on the seven or the six to six to ten K product. If they can't sell that, then they downsell to just the course. So typically the the mid ticket there, which is six to ten thousand, is the course plus coaching, plus webinars, plus more hands-on approach. And then the more high ticket stuff is once you get to a certain point in revenue, now all of a sudden you don't care as much about media buying per se or the funnel. You care more about um, KPIs and hiring operations, whatever the funnel, whatever the business is, the funnel is made for. There's just that next level is once you pass, you know, 50, 100K a month, the, the whole problems, the whole level of problems completely changes. And then they have more of like the hands on approach past that point. Sometimes it's more of an event, sometimes it's still weekly um, calls, sometimes it's a mixture of both. That's usually our sweet spot because we can have a lot of custom things we can do for a booked call to make sure we're getting the best high quality booked call possible. And making sure that we're using data from the sales team to optimize our front end, and that's typically our, our best margins there. Sometimes we'll do like webinars to like hundred dollar products that have upsells in the back end too. Only problem with that is they have to be really good at webinars, which is not everybody compared to VSL the booked call. There's lots of room to make up for a lack of salesmanship through the VSL because once they get on the phone call, it's like the salesperson can really pick it up from there. If you do a low ticket front end, you have to get them to purchase in order for them to ever get on the phone, which makes that a little more difficult. But if you're good at that, it's a it's a good spot to be because you have lots of buyers, which is nice. Gotcha. And so just because I'm a marketing nerd, what what is kind of a typical price point for the course downsell? Usually 2K. 2K? All right. Yeah. Yep. But I would have guessed, you know, 1 to 2K. So right in there. Awesome. I think like a couple of years ago, it was 1K. And then now there's this whole value piece that goes behind 1K. And everyone pretty much moved to, to 2K at this point. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So anyone out there who's like, man, I, you know, I do client work, whatever, and need to start filling in those price points. That's the biggest thing I usually take away from hearing all these other funnels is, you know, people usually don't have enough of a back end or don't have a, enough of a lead up on a front end or whatever. So, well, yeah, I think a lot of people do their, their pricing structure based off where they're currently at, not thinking about the people they're going to have to hire, the sales team, the marketing. And so they start their stuff off at maybe 497 or even sometimes a thousand and don't have a back end. Because I think that's all they're worth. But realistically, in the long run, you have to think about all the expenses you're going to take on. And that's really where you have to start adding. You have to make more value and obviously make sure you charge enough for that point. Because as you start to up prices, it doesn't look as good. It's just over-delivering in the beginning and just having that price set at the right at the right point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So, I mean, you know, when, when you think about acquisition, you, know, you, you talked about having to have great salesmanship or, you know, having certain things dialed in or, or you know, optimizing. That kind of leads us to KPIs, right? Like key performance indicators. Yep. And you know, even if someone's a a roughly amateur fan of entrepreneurship and watches, let's say, Shark Tank, right? The one mm-hmm. thing that they always drive in is what are the numbers, right? <laughs> and I'm always amazed, you know, about how many entrepreneurs you talk to, and a lot of us don't know our numbers, at least not the way that you would expect. So, is that kind of a a, a main thing you like to focus on when you, when you start to decide about what to optimize and set benchmarks, or how does that work from your perspective? Yeah. So before I got into the agency space, I thought that everybody had this piece dialed in. Again, I was fortunate enough to work with Cal and see these different moving pieces inside the business. So most media buyers, people that actually buy the media or agencies, come in and they go, "Hey, I know that I got to get you this CPA and this lead." But in the back end, there's so many different variables too that come into play. You have the refund rate, calls taken, uh, quality calls for CPA, what's your average uh, DPL for the sales team. So there's so many different variables there. 
that actually affect the business. So the very first thing we do when we come into a business is ask for their KPI sheet. They almost have to always have this. And if they don't, then they start pulling this for us. So KPIs include many different variables here, not just what we're graded on the front end, but also the back end. So we have custom dashboards and custom like KPI reporting Excel docs that are pretty intense um, to help with these things, right? So certain things we're looking for, I'll give you an example of a, let's go to a, a booked call funnel since we just talked about doing a you know, VSL to booked call. Important KPIs, I'll start from the top of funnel down. Obviously CTRs, CTRs tell us a, a huge story. So Before you get too ahead of, of yourself, I just want to interrupt yeah. one moment. So we have varying levels of, of education uh, and, and understanding. So Perfect. CPAs, cost per action, CTRs, yes. click-through rates. I, I, like, I could sit here and jive with you like this all day. I just want to make sure that if anyone's scratching their head like, what the heck does that mean? Let's just give them a little extra clarity for, for those Perfect. that are a little earlier okay. in the process. Okay, cool. Yeah, so CPA, cost per acquisition, or cost per action, depending on, on how you look at it. Um, CTRs, so... On Facebook or any media buying platform, you have your click-through rates all, and you have your click-through rate link clicks. So like a CTR all, so click-through rate all, is basically anyone that engaged with your ad at all. So they scroll down and they clicked like, comment, share, see more. They played your video to make it pop up. They clicked on your image. They literally clicked anywhere in that ad space that you have. Then you have the click-through rate link, and that is when they actually click the link uh, on your ad, or they click the button on your ad. So either one of those counts as a, as a CTR link click. So that's one of the first pieces of data that we look at. So this actually tells us a story here. So based off of what type of creative they're running, we have some baseline things that we're looking for. So for example, we want to make sure that our CTR all is usually for a video, 3%, an image, 4%. So that means 4% of people that came through inside are actually engaging. If not, what I see people do is they jump to then fixing the whole ad and they go and change the the hook they change the hook which is important to do there but they change the body copy and they change like the whole piece of copy but that's not the problem the problem is no one's even consuming the content at all so if you edit everything below the see more they're not getting below the see more in facebook so if you go to facebook ad it doesn't show the whole ad you actually have to click see more right so there's two different things you have to focus on there which is the first kpi we look at is ctr all is that at what we need it to be at? If not, the very first things we're testing is the hook of the ad, the first five to 10 seconds, everything above the see more inside the copy, the button copy, everything that the person sees when they scroll down to see your ad. If we get that to that three to 4%, then we move over to the CTR link click. So again, this is people that actually clicked on the link inside of your ad. So what we're looking for here is like a two to one ratio. So out of half the people that engaged with your ad and clicked it in general, Half of them actually clicked on the link or clicked the button. This shows us that there is a connection between the hook that you set, the bridge into the content, and then the content's actually selling. So let's say you're at a 4% CTR all, 1% CTR link click. It means 25% of people that engage with your ad actually clicked, which means that's, that's pretty low. So we don't need to necessarily focus on the hook, which is the first part of the, of the copy. We don't need to necessarily focus on the hook of the video. We need to focus on what's after that point. So again, I see a lot of people go and create a whole new pieces of copy, but that's not what you have to do. You have to go and edit that piece of the copy that you strictly need based off what the data is telling you. So let's say those are both that two to one ratio and our CTRs are making sense. So we move over to the conversion rate on the landing page, right? So what is the conversion rate on the landing page? Um, does that percentage make sense? This thing fluctuates. It's why we have to track it. So I'll kind of give you all the KPIs we look at here and then reverse engineer them because all of them tell a story. 
So you have your, your lead cost, obviously. You have your landing page conversion rate. You have your VSL, uh, video sales letter. So if you ever go to like after you opt into something, you have a actual video that pushes you to either purchase or to book a call. You have the conversion rate from the people that land on that page to actually booking the call uh, or actually clicking on the booked call. And the people that actually click on the booked call, it's actually booking a call. And there's some other KPIs after that we can get into. So again, a few pieces of stories here. We actually add delayed scripts. You can do this through um, Active Campaign or Infusionsoft or anything, but you can actually fire off the script when someone sees the offer, right? So let's say that we know that our uh, landing page, that, that part doesn't matter too much. Just make sure you're above 10, 15%. The rest is what really matters here. So let's say you have 100 people that land on your VSL page and 20% of them get to your actual pitch. This is why it's important to have that delayed script there. You know that, yes, your VSL might not be working properly, but you also know that they're not even getting to the pitch. So why go and change the offer if you're not even getting to the offer, right? So then you know, okay, well, the piece of content I'm doing in the beginning isn't hooking them. What does the data tell me? What's the drop-off point? You can use plugins for Vimeo and Wistia to see where the drop-off point is. Something I said, am I dequalifying people too much? So it just tells you what part of the funnel do you have to focus on. So that typically we like to see around 50%. It's kind of a, a rough, rough number there. Uh, do you ever use the tool Vitalytics? Uh, some of our clients do use Vitalytics. That's a is that a plugin for Vimeo, right? No, it's it's actually its own video player. It's like a competitor to Vimeo and Wistia and that kind of stuff that gives you a lot mm. of this data and even lets you, you know, drop in buttons at certain points and the whole deal. Oh, I don't think any of our clients use that. At least I have I have not heard that name come up in a few years. That's why I forgot. What it I mean, was. it's literally video analytics is how it got its name. So Vitalytics. I was just curious. Yeah. You were saying on some like you know, could you consolidate some of those tools? Anyway, I just thought it would come to mind since that's your world and thought I'd ask. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely could. I think a lot of people use Wistia for that reason, but Wistia also is like arm and a leg, mattering on how much traffic you're sending. So I think Vitalytics is a lot more affordable. <laughs> Cool. I, I did not know that. So I'm going to actually note that down and go and research that after this. Awesome. 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 So then there's that. There's like the uh, the saw offer compared to how many people clicked on booking call. Again, another big piece here. So what a lot of people they'll track is how many leads did I get and how many booked calls did I get? But again, there's so many things in between there that are super important to know that actually tell you what you need to fix or what we can optimize for. So then, for example, you see out of the 50 people that saw your offer, two people click to book a call. Obviously, now there's an issue with your actual offer there. So I would then purely just focus on doing a couple split tests on some different offers or pitches, things of that nature. Again, another big drop-off is when people get to the actual booking page. Let's say you have 50 people that land in the booking page and one person books, right? That's a huge drop-off. That means you're asking for probably too much information on the booking page. It might not load properly on certain devices. You have to get things like browser stack to make sure it loads right on all devices. It could be broken. Uh, one other big test to you is if you have to book more than five days out, the conversion rate drops substantially. We just actually just had a client we did this with. And we were at about $125 cost per call. It brought it up to 500 And then we changed it back down. It brought it back down to 125 again. Wow. So it was crazy. So it has a huge, huge difference there. So again, it just tells us these variables we need to test there. And obviously, you have the cost for booked call. So again, there's this story, right? There's a story all the way across. It's not just how many leads did I get, how many booked calls, because then you change way too many variables at once, but let the KPIs do that for you. Then there's the next phase, right? Then there's, okay, how many people here whose quality 
and who's not quality, right? Because not all books calls are created equally. So what was the cost per quality call taken? What is the cost per any call taken, right? What is the uh, average, uh, they call it DPL. I don't, I don't even remember exactly what it stands for. Salespeople call it DPL. Basically, like, what is the average value per book call? Uh, what is that for each person? Uh, what is the overall CPA in the back end? And those are all important numbers to know. So most people don't have all those pieces set up. And then from there, then one of the biggest things we hear is, all right, if we're making money, we want to scale this thing to you know, 50 grand a day. And every, to, the every, moon, every, to the moon, right? Everybody, to the yes. Moon. Everybody says that. And uh, I, I can't tell you one client that hasn't come in and, and said that. The problem is with that though, is we go, okay, cool. Well, how do you guys expect to get there? We go, well, we're just going to double budget. And it's like, no, it's not necessarily just doubling budget. We have to reverse engineer what's currently going on to understand what we have to start spending to get to those goals, right? So we have a client right now that comes to us and says that he wants 70 sales a day. And so for us, we go, okay, so 70 sales a day means that, uh, well, 70 sales to them, they actually have a higher number. So they go, I want to make you know, like 1.5 million a month. In order to make that, I have to get this many people on our backend upgrade. In order to get that, I have to have this many people buy this upsell. In order to get that, I have to have this many people purchase. And he tells us, you hit this purchase goal, we're good. And then we go, okay, in order to hit this purchase goal, we have to have this many people initiate checkout, to have this many people see the offer, which means we have to have this many people register, this many people click on the PDF or to download the PDF, this many people click. If we're getting cost per click at this price, how much do we have to spend a day? And that's how we reverse engineer how to actually get them to their KPI goals rather than just, you know, let's just throw money at it and see what happens. And there's variables. As you scale, some of those things change. And it's about, okay, in order to get to 70 sales, what do I have to change to get them to that point? And those are important things to set up there. And we can get into like how we media buy if you want based off of those KPIs because all those are important. But those well, are... I, one thing I, I think most people that are early stage, they have a question of, you know, because I, I think it's a common thing. It's like, right, if I double my ad spend, I'll double my results, right? And I found personally that when I crank up ad spend, it fades, right? Yeah. The, the cost per action and the cost per lead go up. And every time I double, I see a, another softening and drop and the cost goes up per lead. Is that kind of consistent with what you find with your clients? So uh, yes and no. I think we have a very unique way of media buying where we can actually mitigate that a lot. Uh, we have different ways of doing spend to conversion ratios and such to hedge ourselves against that. So in most cases, I will say yes, unless you have a really strong media buying team, then no. So for example, we had a client that went from $5,000 a day and brought them up to $125,000 a day in spend and went from $6 per lead to eight. It's like, that's not, that's not a huge jump uh, compared to, you know, typically you'll see a bigger jump than that. Or for example, you can go to 5k to 15k and not see a huge jump. The, I think it's this, this thing that people think that it's just a normal thing. So they don't try to beat it and they go, oh, this is normal. When realistically there is ways to actually change that piece, right? If you, if you look at the KPIs based off what we just talked about, as you spend more, you get data back faster and you can actually optimize faster. So yes, it will spike in the beginning, but that doesn't mean this is where info marketing, we get lazy because we go, yeah, we're still making money, so we don't need to adjust. When you have 90% margins, it makes you lazy for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they don't like take the extra step to look at it. <laughs> so you can go, yes, I, I'm going to scale and I'm not just going to go from, uh, I don't know what your audience is at, let's say 200 a day to, to 400 a day. Um, and yes, you're going to see a spike in the beginning initially, but it's like, what are you doing that, that for? When you do spike, okay, this all comes down to KPIs. So 
when your cost does spike, what exactly spiked? Right? There's something changed somewhere in the funnel. And that's why we have it all drawn out in a KPI sheet. So was it your CPM, meaning cost per thousand people reached? Did that go up? Did your conversion rates drop? Did you like somewhere a conversion rate dropped, right? It's either the CPM or your conversion rates dropped. So what what dropped? And then how do we how do we combat that? Right. So if we scale and our CPM goes up, okay, well, that means for every single person that sees the ad, that cost goes up. So in order to combat that, we know that we have to have more engaging type content to have that CPM come back down. Like we have to get basically more CTR. And Facebook says it does not directly correlate, but it definitely does directly definitely correlate. Does, the more people yeah. engage with your ad, it's going to be cheaper because we're having a better user experience. right? Or is it when they get to your page, your conversion rate dropped? Okay, well, if my conversion rate dropped, either I can... In Facebook, you do a conversion ad. You can optimize deeper in the funnel to get a more quality person. Or you know that dropped, so let's go and now we need to test more landing pages. Right? Or you know the cost for booked call drops. Why? And so just identifying what KPI actually caused that change can then help you go back and fix it, and then reduce the cost again. So yes, it does spike, but that does not mean that you just have to accept that. Just figure out exactly what what broke, and you can you can fix it from there. Well, it's good to know, you know, because I'm amazing at getting email to the inbox, but my uh, my chops for advertising are not. Not at A plus levels. They, I had spent quite a bit on advertising back in the day for some people, but you know, it was, it's been quite a while, and the game has changed. So, <laughs> yeah, especially in the in the Facebook world, the game has changed a, a lot, and attribution is uh, is a necessity here. So we spend a lot of time on custom attribution models. Yeah, I guess that's a good question. So you know, with iOS fourteen point five, everyone kind of freaked out, right, because of yeah. Apple changing things. So, you know, I, I understand philosophically why, you know, knowing your key performance indicators and where everything is at every stage is amazing, but that's harder than ever before today, is it not? I mean, how do you overcome that as an agency? As far as like what Apple did and like how they spiked the prices? <laughs> sure. Yeah. If we want to simplify it. Yeah. More or less. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to get too techy here, but basically what Apple did was it, it stopped the ability to do third-party tracking. Not stop, but if you turn off that the button, it stops any third-party. So basically, what happens is Facebook Pixel is a third-party Pixel because it has you know Facebook on the Pixel. The Pixel is the piece of code that you basically copy and paste on your website so Facebook can see what happens off of Facebook. So basically, Apple stopped the ability for some people to stop that information coming back to Facebook. So... What we have to do is you have to figure out, okay, well, if that was the issue, how do you fix that issue? There's a few different ways you can fix that issue. Uh, the very simple way is through Hyros. Um, Hyros is, and there's other softwares too, like Hyros, but we like Hyros for a couple reasons here. So on the Hyros Pixel, you can, does it, I should probably go into what Hyros is. Hyros is basically a, like a third party tracking software that gives you a bunch of data that Facebook can't give you um, and helps you own the data. So what a lot of people even don't know that do use Hyros is you can actually integrate your domain into the Hyros pixel and you can make that Hyros pixel into a first-party pixel. So Apple didn't stop first-party tracking, meaning first parties, you own the data. It's you, which means that it's like your website that collects the data. Third party is Facebook's you know, code being on, on your page. So if you can make that code and you own the data, now you can actually pass the data back to Facebook because you own the data. So Hyros has like the first party, you can integrate your domain into it and you can actually put that pixel on your page. Now it's first party, that helps. Um, Hyros also has the ability to then take 
what's called basically server-side tracking. So servers can pick up more data than Facebook can in some situations. So for example, Hyros also gives you the person's name, email, phone number, IP address, gives you lots of different things there. And if Facebook's not getting that data, then Hyros, you can actually set it up to pass that data back to Facebook and also use those parameters to help with matching. So basically, there's like a match score. So let's say your match score is 90%. That means that out of 100 people that made it to your page, we've got 90% attribution there. So every piece of data you give back to them more also helps increase that. So if I pass back IP address and the Facebook click ID and their name, email, and phone number, the, pers- the chance of me getting that data back to Facebook and getting attribution into Facebook is a lot higher. So different, different things like that. Another cool thing about Hyros too is if anyone here that takes any calls at all and they run traffic, what's really cool about Hyros is, or other softwares do this too, but give me like Hyros is you can say you get uh, 10 booked calls, you can then take those emails, you can figure out who of them is quality and who's not quality first, right? So let's say you have five quality, five not quality. You can plug that information into Hyros and it will show you exactly what campaign, ad set, and ad that person came from. So now you can start optimizing based off of the quality of traffic, not just the traffic that you're getting, right? So that's what's super important because Facebook, you can't go into Facebook and say, all right, Joe Schmo here at gmail.com, you know, where did he come from? You don't know. He came from one of the things that you're running, right? And this is why you have to test out, you have to have that. So when you go and test out intent versus curiosity, you'll see a big swing. Curiosity, yeah, you'll get cheaper cost per lead, but are they backing out on the back end? Or if you're just being super upfront with what the offer is, not the offer, but what exactly we'll learn the, on the VSL, you're being more upfront and more intent based with the marketing. Yeah, your costs are going to go up, but does the cost for quality call on the back end go down? Right. Yeah, so if, if it closed at three times the rate, but it costs twice as much, it's still worth it because exactly. you're making yeah. way more. Exactly. So you have a 300% bump in close, but 200% bump in cost. So you have 100% margin there in the green. It's exactly, exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So a friend of mine is Scott from Wicked Reports, I believe, does the same kind of thing as Hyros. But yeah, uh, yes. the, those kind of platforms are awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only thing that, that Wicked Reports makes it a little more difficult on is it doesn't integrate into Facebook. They have their own reason for that because they say Iros kind of cheats a little bit, which not they probably they probably do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, both of them work great. Those two and uh Segmetrics also I heard works well. Some of our clients use that. Uh my media buyers handle those accounts for the most part. But those are like the three three top ones there. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because if I have a ad set or an ad, you know, within an ad campaign that's just crushing it on clothes, I would probably be tempted to turn everything else off. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And so you only get so much data in Facebook. And the only piece too that Facebook moved to is a, it's modeling. So if you ever go into your Facebook account, it has this small little two next to all your numbers, which means that these aren't actually your numbers. These are just based off what all the data Facebook has. This is the model of how it thinks that it did, how it thinks. It thought it brought you two leads or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so things like Hyros and Wicker Reports, like they'll show you, no, actually this many people came from here. And they'll show you that because they pass over the information. It's a, it's a UTM you add. Basically, it's a, a snippet that goes after your URL that just passes information over. And in that snippet, it has the ad ID, the ad set ID, and the campaign ID. So it can attribute it back to the exact source that it came from. So it does this off of Facebook's platform because Facebook can't do that for user privacy, but you know these other softwares can. So it's getting creative. 
Yeah, I definitely noticed the modeling because we do a little bit of advertising here and there on some of our funnels. And, you know, I don't have quite the level of tracking like Hyros or Wicked Reports currently installed, but even I can compare, you know, pulling date ranges, how many leads came in, and it never, ever, ever matches (laughs) now what Facebook thinks. Facebook sometimes is low, oftentimes it's high. They always think that their performance is better than it really is. Uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Like, look at your cost per lead. It's like, mm, if that was our actual lead, sure, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting too, because you can, if you go and set this up through Google Analytics, uh, I guess Facebook kind of does this too, but Google Analytics will tell you exactly how many people came from iOS versus Android. And you can see how they converted and such. And like a good 80, 90% of our traffic comes from iOS. So, and Android is rolling this out too. It's not out yet, but Android is also rolling out that, that stopping of, of data. So that's a problem on, on Facebook. On Google, it's not as much of a problem though, because Google has a lot of first party things, right? So YouTube is owned by Google. Google has Google Chrome Analytics, has all it has Google AdSense. It has so many different places that Google has the ability to turn that tracking into first party tracking. It's not getting hit as bad with it. It is still getting hit with it a little bit, and there's ways to fix that. But that's why Facebook got hurt so bad, because Facebook is Facebook, right? But Google is it's a behemoth, right? Again, all those different softwares, if any of those are on the site, the chances of those conversions picking up is higher because that's it's first party, right? Like they they own the thing that they're on. So interesting, interesting. So, you know, if someone wants to get an offer to scale, because right, like you, you talk about all these entrepreneur, you know, and, and marketing communities, and everyone's like, oh, you know, cold traffic is like that's the the holy grail, right? Like you gotta get control of cold traffic. And and I find that most people would agree with that but all, very few actually seem to master it. What is your kind of advice for someone who's in a position where they, you know, they may have dabbled with it, they haven't gotten it to work, they're not even convinced it would work because they haven't personally experienced it working, right? They, 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 they read case studies, they follow people to make it work, but they don't know what next steps to do. What, what would be your advice to someone in that situation? My advice always comes down to like, try to find a way to eliminate the most amount of variables at one time as possible. So this is why... I think affiliate marketing in the beginning or using different types, not like going to ClickBank necessarily and finding offers, but finding something that's proven where you can utilize like something that you know works and either run traffic there to get traffic dialed in because then you know that, hey, this funnel works, this webinar works, like all these things work. One thing that's changing is my traffic. So I do a lot of teaching in communities, teaching people how to do that first then branch off and do it for their own companies. Or you do it for someone that's a competitor inside the space that you know is working. You don't copy their stuff, but you just you, you know that what their offer is, you know what some of their hooks are, you understand conceptually what things work. And so you're trying to eliminate as many variables as possible when you go and launch because you're you're piggybacking off of something that has at least enough data to know that it works. The problem is what people will do, uh, or even you run it organic. Like if it works organic, it's probably gonna work paid as long as there's some stipulations there. But as long as you know the offer works, this is usually the biggest thing. Because if you go and you start running paid traffic to, let's say, uh, a booked call funnel again, you don't know if it's your ad that's lagging behind. You don't know if it's your landing page congruency. You don't know if it's your video. You don't know if it's your booked call page. You don't know if it's your salespeople. So it's like, how do I try to eliminate as many of those variables as possible and focus on one? And the easiest way to do that is to piggyback in the beginning and then go off and test different things. The Again, the biggest thing is not knowing if everything else is going to work properly and then. I think that's that's like one of the biggest pieces there, and changing too much at one time. At at all times, you should only be changing one thing. So one thing on your ads is it on your different tests? Are you just changing 
your your image, you're just changing your copy, or you're just changing your headline. Uh, and the funnel, just change your landing page, test that, or just change the VSL. And make sure you're not testing too many variables at one time. That's one of the biggest things. And that's why I think that certain ways that eliminate as many of those variables as possible, the potential of it not working is, is super important. Obviously, reps is important too. <laughs> Uh, making sure you get out there and get reps. Even five bucks a day is important. But those are usually my tips on on that side. Gotcha. I mean, other than you know, advice on that, what do you tell people that have like, oh, I, I ran Facebook ads and, and they don't work, right? What they really mean is they haven't worked for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what they mean. So that whole KPI structure I broke down earlier, almost 95% of the time I see people say it doesn't work is because their CTRs are too low. They're getting you know, 0.5% CTR all, 0.2% CTR link clicks, and no one's consuming the content. No one's consuming the content. They're not going to get to the next page. So one of the biggest things that you could do is go and hire someone that specializes in the creative side and the copy and, and the graphic side. Too many people try to do that in the beginning, and they're not master copywriters. So it's like, just go and pay someone 100 dollars 500 bucks, whatever it is, for them to get some copy variations for you. And then know that at least the copies. And the, and the creatives are going to be pretty decent because that's one of the biggest things that lags on that side. If that does work and you are getting enough traffic, then just follow those frameworks I just told you to figure out where the drop-off is. So what, what's like an example of a funnel that some people in your audience might run? You know, I, I think there's a lot of people that try to run, you, you know, like a low ticket front end, usually, you know, like a, like a book or, you know, swipes or a video course or something, you know, like sub $30 is fairly common, you know, there's well, with hopefully with the back end, but hopefully know, the back end, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with those, it gets a little more tricky because I'll tell you how we do those funnels. And you might have to segment what I'm going to say here because there's different levels of this, but the most successful book funnels we've seen is you're not typically say your your book is uh, I don't know, 20 bucks, right? You're typically not going to get a CPA under 20 bucks. You'd probably be pretty lucky to get around 70 and 80. So one thing that's important to have there is make sure you have some sort of liquidation strategy after they purchase that initial small ticket front end. So most people have between an eight to a nine hundred dollar total cost per, I guess, upsells available. Usually, like two or three different upsells that could average out to that price. So if someone bought absolutely everything in the funnel, they'd spend eight to nine hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So out of everything in there total, they bought all the upsells that could equal up to that price. And then for like a five dollar book, we can typically get that cost per value per person that purchases just the upsells up to about a hundred bucks. So that really helps liquidate the the cost there on the front end a lot. Um, except for that, I mean that that's the number one thing you have to have in this day and age. It's super important to have that. Uh, another thing too is. If you are optimizing for purchase, don't go too soon to optimizing for purchase. Make sure you optimize for what we call micro conversions first. So let's say they're running to a landing page that then if they click the button to buy, they go to the next page. Uh, make sure that you would first optimize for like initiate checkout, right? Which would be that, that first thing there. Because if you just go to purchase too fast, the way the algorithm works is it's going to charge you a lot more to optimize for a purchase. But if it doesn't have information on who's purchasing, it's just going to go after random people trying to get them to purchase that are Shoot more likely dark. to purchase, but they just increase the cost so much more. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. So I usually wait until you get like a hundred initiate checkouts and you can start moving through the funnel more. Uh, and then on those low ticket front ends, this, because there is so many less variables, which is the blessing there, which is smart that they're doing something like that is almost a hundred percent of the time. The biggest thing that's going to get you the swing is going to be the copy and the creative. 
right? Like those should be almost the only things that you're testing. As long as your conversion rate on the landing page is decent, I'd say that you're somewhere around five, five percent. So five percent of traffic that clicks from an ad to actually buying the front end product. Yeah, that that's pretty much the bare. If you're going to something low ticket, that's pretty much like the bare bare minimum there. I mean, you could get that up higher, but if you're not at five percent, you're probably gonna get a cost per click around two bucks, right? So what does that come out to? Where that comes out? So five. 20, is that 100, $100, something like that. Either way, the CPA is still pretty high there at 5%. Gotcha. So at least 5%, but that would be like the bare minimum. As long as it's converting at least 5%, then, then yes, just focus almost purely on the creatives. But the test on the landing page, make sure you have Hotjar downloaded to you so you know where people are dropping off through different heat maps. If you guys don't know what Hotjar is, it's, uh, it records people's screen and it'll give you heat maps based off of where the activity is. And almost every time you look at a Hotjar, there's almost always one section of the page that goes from like it gets, it gets redder as like more traffic's there and it's almost one spot where it goes completely blue because there's just nobody that makes it past that point. It's like a headline or something of that set. Uh, one thing that I can give you for those people too would be that uh, testimonials have been killer on those. On all of our hot jars, people almost go straight to the testimonials now. No one really even reads these pages anymore. They skip through the headlines they find the help, the headlines that are relevant to them. They go to the testimonials and they figure out if they want to click. Like that's what almost all our recording shows nowadays. No one's sitting there and reading every single line in there. They just go through the headlines, go to the testimonials, and figure out if they want to push forward or not. That brings up an interesting question for me. What what kind of testimonials then do you find are hitting the hardest? Video testimonials, written testimonials, how long, candid testimonials versus the more professionally produced ones? I mean, there's a lot that can go into a quote testimonial and they can have a very different outcome. So what are you finding is the most attractive for most of your clients? It's definitely a test. Uh, a lot of people convert differently. So the very bare bones is like having something is better than nothing. Usually a written out version is pretty well. It works pretty well. The problem with doing videos, especially on like a longer form page, is the amount of load it puts on your page is substantial. And when your page load speed increases, the amount of people that actually sit there and consume the content is a lot lower. Plus, Facebook and Google penalize you and the CPMs being cost per thousand people reached for longer page load speeds. So for those, we're typically doing a longer form like image of them so they can see someone that find, that looks like them. That's how everybody goes to the person that looks most like them or age-wise or whatever. And then you just have like the, the quote here. So whatever thing that they said, usually they'll pull it from either a message or a testimonial survey, or they'll actually do a video testimonial and just pull a clip of like the, the quote they want to use there. Um, on pages past the first page, you can get a little more aggressive and put videos if you want. But most of our clients use text. And it's just like medium form, maybe maybe 100 words. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's definitely good to know. Because you know, I know testimonials are, have been powerful for a very long time. But you know, some people swear by, oh, you got to get you know your clients to, to you know whip out their phone and record using the selfie cam and talk about how amazing you are. But it's like, I always felt like there was there was a little extra friction there for various reasons, and you know, your your answers about page load speed and penalizing on CPM makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, also it comes down to I mean, honestly, a lot of people aren't that good on video, so <laughs> <laughs> stumble it's, around and you know make mistakes, yeah. and yeah, they're like you know, it's like is that a bathroom in the background? <laughs> yeah, and they like yeah, and they make it feel structured. They make it yes, usually you'll give them a prompt. So I mean, I always give them a prompt like, hey, if you wouldn't mind, have you gotten any good results so far? If you wouldn't mind just like answering a few of these questions. Um, and just record yourself. That works too. And then they, you know, they just make it seem like I asked them to ask those questions. Like, 
all right, first question is X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, no, like in your testimony, like you just cover these topics. Um, if we helped you there or not, it's not like, yo, go and say this, and fake it. But for if sure. we helped you in these three things, can you just mention it? Because in order for us to help more people, like we helped you, you know, we want to be able to, to make sure we have these things covered. Because in the end of the day, that's how we typically like to structure it when we ask people, say, hey, we've helped you get the result. In order to help more people, um, we have to be able to use that content. And so like framing things comes down to psychology, but like framing things in a way that's going to help benefit them or help the greater good to you always works more rather than just, hey, can you shoot testimonial? For sure. I mean, it's, since you said testimonials are so important too, do you find that there's like a certain number of testimonials that kind of tends to be the sweet spot, right? Because, you know, if it's one or two, that might not be enough. But if it's 430, that's probably overkill, right? So what's what's it's, the sweet spot? It's like three to six. It's usually always set in threes. So you either have one row or two rows. I do have some clients that have on their... So we have like retargeting pages we send traffic to and they have a ton on there. We haven't tested it opposite of that. I mean, it seems to work. But most of our funnels we run uh, have been three to six. I can't tell you we've done a test having more than three to six, but like everybody's been running three to six. And so is that three to six of the entire page or like a block of content, three, a block of content, three, a block of content, three? I mean, uh, no, just at the one spot on the page. One spot on the page. All right. Yeah. And I don't know if this is meant to be, but most of them are like 75% down through the page too. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't tested it. A, B. I'm always about the numbers, right? Maybe it works better, moved up, but it seems like all of your clients have it about 70, 75% down the page. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I never thought that we'd uh, end up talking about testimonials so much today, but yeah. that's, <laughs> but you said it's a hotspot and it's a, it definitely is. an important piece. So that's interesting. Um, any others kind of maybe page conversion tips? Cause I feel like, you know, when a lot of people say, Hey, it's not working. I agree that it's, it's something with the traffic or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. But but if they can't get past that initial landing page, is there any kind of other structural things that you're finding that are working really well right now? Like, you know, is a checkout on the bottom? Is a checkout on a kind of column on the side? Maybe it floats with them. Like, is there any kind of structural things like that, that people should consider when they're designing that kind of like first big conversion element in their funnel? I mean, here's just some some normal things that you know some people do and don't know. Uh, button color. We always want to make sure you use a button that that color is not used anywhere else on the page. So I see a lot of people make these fancy looking pages and they have like a blue button and then like blue is also their background. They have blue in their text, but the button doesn't pop out at all. Um, another mistake I see too is not telling people what to do. So just saying like, buy the book now, as far as the button says, rather than click here to buy the book now. It's crazy. Even testing this on ads too. Like you're just putting a link compared to click this link to do X, Y, Z. If you don't tell them to do something, people just don't do stuff. I know it's like to us, it's like, yes, obviously you click the button, but if you don't tell them to, they just don't think about it. And so it does drop conversions if you don't have an actual call to action there. We, we find the same in email copy too. It's like, you got to be really explicit about, I want you to do this thing. And, and sometimes even say, and then this is the experience you're going to have after that. Like, and then you're going to make this decision or whatever, like really just telling them exactly step by step what you want them to do. And they're like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. So to be clear on that piece, though, I would not do that on Facebook, but on YouTube, that is a good tactic as far as the future pacing. So we've noticed a drop in conversion rates. We do go on the next page, you want to do this, and then you know, then do X, Y, and Z after. It's part of this direct response thing, like tell them to do one thing. It probably works well on, on email. But on Facebook, it definitely, just so you guys know, does not work. On YouTube, though, it actually does work pretty well because as you're doing your call to action, you can do a like screen recording of you literally going to the page and clicking the button and putting in your information. 
I still wouldn't future pace them too far, but that does work pretty well on YouTube. Uh, let's see some other things here for Facebook. Don't overcomplicate the page. The simplest pages, longer form sales pages have always worked best. Partially from page load speed, partially just from like just simplicity's sake. Uh, don't ever do dark background on white text. I still have some clients bring funnels to us with that. And that's like a known direct response thing. Like always dark text on a light background. Yeah, I think those are some of the bigger ones. I don't really have anything else like design wise, but those are three, four, however many things I was that helped. I still see people making mistakes on. Yeah, so I guess the one question I have on on layout is like, you know, do you feel like having the long sales page with the actual, you know, call to action slash checkout all the way at the bottom of the page? Or, you know, a button at the top page you initiated? Do you put the checkout like in when they click a button, do they go to a checkout page? Is the yeah. checkout form embedded in, in the main page? Yeah. So a couple of different questions here. Number one, we always have a button above the fold, meaning when they get to the page, it's above the fold. Uh, every single time it's always one. Again, this whole stat of most people don't scroll is definitely true. Again, you can use Hotjar to, to literally see the recordings of them <laughs> doing that. Yeah. yeah. So always have at least one button above the fold and then have them kind of sprinkled throughout the page. So whenever you cover a big topic, make sure you have the buttons there again. As far as the embedded versus not, I'll give you what I prefer as far as being a like a media buyer. So whenever you have it embedded, sometimes it can help increase conversion rates. Sometimes not. It's definitely worth a test. The, the issue is though, there's so many things that are going on that page, you don't know if it's not working, like why it's not working. Compared to if you have a button that goes to a checkout page, the checkout page, you have more testimonials, you have your guarantee on there, you have all that, and you can actually put that information on there. One, you can put a lot more value on that page that they're actually going to consume because you don't know they're actually going to consume anything on the sales page. And two, you can now track where the drop-off is, right? Let's say you get 20% of your people on your page to click the button, but 1% are converting. So okay, well, I got them to click. I don't need to focus on that page. They're clicking. Let me yeah. just make sure I can convert them on the checkout page. But if you have it all in one page, it just condenses all that data and you're basically just you know throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, Hotjar does help you tell what you want to fix too, but I like to break them up for those KPI reasons in general. And then also just the fact that you can make sure they consume the stuff um, on your checkout page. Gotcha. I have clients that do both, but we definitely prefer the, the latter one, meaning to click the button and go to a checkout page. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because then it you know sort of puts a clear line in the sand about where problems are existing or not existing. Do you like to like basically do a, a simple lead capture when they click that button, or send them right to the uh, the checkout page and then maybe do like partial collection? You know, if they start filling it out but then abandon, um, do you have a preference between those two? I think that the common thing here is you're going to have a drop in conversions by doing that. But is your email game that strong that you'll make up for the drop of conversions in the funnel, right? So this, this was the same thing also with like video sales letter pages. So is it more important for you to know that you know, 80% of people aren't going to go through, you might get 20% conversion rate, right? Is it more important that of those 80% that don't make it to the, the next page that you know you can pick up that amount of loss through email traffic, right? Because you know every, everything you put in their way is going to hurt them. So we have some clients that are really strong at, at email and they want the email because they know that email when they do promos, they have all these different ways to help liquidate that. Even if they don't purchase, like they're good. So they'd rather just get an influx of emails. If your email game's weaker, 
and you're like, I'm still learning, I'm not getting that good of open rates and click rates, then might as well just get as many people to that page as possible. Start converting them, the people you do sell, you can practice your emails with. But that's kind of the way I think about it too. Even same thing with VSL. Some people go, do I want to do a lead capture and then go to the VSL or straight to the VSL? Same thing. Like, do you want to email people every day? And do you do you want to do that? If so, and you're good at it, cool. If not, then let's just get, you know, what, four X of the amount of people to the VSL page because you might have a twenty percent conversion rate on that on a landing page. You'll literally get four times more people on the page. Is that more important or is collecting the email more important? For for most people that aren't that good at email, it's probably <laughs> smart to just reduce friction. I, I would say yes, especially with the way the email landscape has also changed since iOS what fifteen. I think it was that that hurt that the data on the email side. So even after since that part, emails got more difficult. Um, not to say it's not possible, but there's it, definitely more friction in that process now and in, in reporting wise. See now, now you're dancing into my arena because that e- emails where we absolutely crush. Like our average person doubles their open and click rates, even with nice. iOS 15. Doesn't matter. I like that. Um, That's good to hear. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, we even have some people like 10 to 15x their previous performance. So it's it's bananas. I might have to talk with you about some of our clients then, because <laughs> yeah, that it's been it's been hit and miss with some of our some of our people for sure. Yeah, we can definitely chat about that that later. But no, yeah, I you know this has been really interesting about the whole pipeline, because even people that have experience in it, it's like, okay, well, you know, I think the the more systematic approach, because even really good marketers, I think a lot of it ends up being powered by gut intuition about, you know, hey, this has kind of worked in the past, or I saw this other page, and it looked really good, or whatever. And I, I think so few marketers, especially if they're skew more, quote, internet marketing, right, as opposed to like, you know, more established, slower moving businesses, um, are are just kind of shooting from the hip, yeah. and then if they find one that works, they're like great, I'm a genius. But it's like, do you know why you're a genius? Like, no, <laughs> does it scale? The does it, is it going to last for more than three weeks? Like, you just don't have that kind of, you know, reliability and sustainability. So these kind of tips really help. Agreed. So our our third value in our company is that driven decisions. So nobody can come to us and say. So whenever we do a, launch a test, there's something that every entrepreneur should take from this. Whenever we launch a test. Or whenever you have an idea and we're submitting creatives, because we have a whole creative team. So is here's what I want to submit. Here's why I want to submit it based off these KPIs. And here's what I'm expecting from it. So it's never like, okay, I want you to create four new pieces of copy. It's like, no. Okay. Why? Like, what are the four pieces of copy? Why? What needs to change about those? And what's the expected result? So whenever even a client comes to us, they go, Yeah, you know, I just want to test this gut feeling. It's like, okay, well, you're paying us to be the experts though. So let's talk through this because a gut feeling. Is going to end up being a reflection of, of us at the end of the day, too. It's like if you have a gut feeling it doesn't work, it looks bad on us, it looks bad on you guys, it hurts the business. And overall, it hurts the people that your company is actually helping, which is what we push for. It's like, yes, we like working with our clients, but like we're ultimately doing this to help our clients' clients, right? So scale their impact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, it's like our responsibility for that. So everything, whenever someone says gut feeling, instantly no, go back to the drawing table. You need to come to us with some piece of data or at least an expected result, not just I want to create this to create this. It's like that's no. That's how you progress anything in business. Here's the data I have so far. Here's why I want to do it. And then here's what the expected result is going to be from it. It's one of the biggest things that you can do to progress your business, your accounts, whatever it is. It's one of the most important questions you can ask. And it makes you look at data, a collection and then data aggregation way different too. Because now you actually have to look at the data. And not just guess, which to some people is hard, but it's important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, I think we can uh, kind of. I've got two more questions for you here to to sort of close this out, if you don't mind. 
One is for those who are much earlier in the process, you know, you said your suggestion was, you know, hire a copywriter to try to write better ad copy, right? Um, what are, is there, is there like a resource for templates or is there a, a marketplace that you would suggest people to go find that kind of person or at least get better information about how to write better ads? So I'm not a big template fan. I'll, I'll let you know that right now. Uh, we have had people that, that like templates. So what, what we do and what I do recommend people do is like, where did the copywriters aggregate? Like, where do they hang out? And how can you tap into that? So what we do is we reach out to the owners of certain groups. We say, Hey, you know, right now we're looking for a new copywriter specialized in X, Y, and Z. Can I like pay you to make a post for me? And then they'll make a post to have people comment on the post and we can reach out to them through that post. Uh, that's one of the number one ways we found to do it. You can find them through other networks. I'll just tell you that that hasn't worked as well for me. So I always have them do that. And then in order to vet my copywriters, I give them a paid project. So it's like, hey, you know, I had 10 people comment on here. All right, write me a piece of copy, you know, whatever your fee is, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Let's figure out what the, what the copy is, test them, whatever copy works best, hire that person. I've tried every which way else to do it. And that has been my best way to actually find a quality copywriter. But just getting into the, the places that they aggregate and then how do you get connected with the people that, that run that. It's a little bit of a process. Uh, so that's one way to do it. Second way is there's like copywriting like companies that help place copywriters and such. I just found that good copywriters struggle with Facebook ads specifically for some reason. I don't know why that is because I think they, over try, they try to overcomplicate a Facebook ad. Facebook ad doesn't need to sell the whole business and like an ad just needs to sell the click. They treat it like an actual sales letter, not an ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've hired like some of the best copywriters and every single time they're the copy flunk because they just try. They're like, I have all these skills. I want to use them all on this Facebook ad. It's like, no, no, no. You need to keep it simple. Like, <laughs> don't over. There's one objective. Get them to yeah, click. one objective. Uh, I think there is another company. Well, honestly, so if you're just starting to... One thing that actually really helps even, even my copywriters is uh, copy AI softwares, not taking the copy they're actually using, but to spit out ideas and to Frankenstein them together. So you can use things like uh, like Jarvis. You can put in your different keywords. I don't want to get into how to use it, but you can put in different things. We'll spit out like 10 different pieces of copy for you. They're actually pretty good copy. And you can just Frankenstein them together, like take this opening line, put with this hmm. line, this line. And so you're basically, if you want to go with the... This hook, this bridge, and this close. Yeah, yeah. And that actually works pretty well too. So we'll have it spit out like headline ideas for us. We don't always take that exact idea, but like it even just helps spark our inspiration. Like, okay, cool. I never, never thought about that before. And I think there is a company here. I can't back up this company. Let's see if they still exist. So Ad Zombies, we used them at one point. Uh, it was all right. But it's definitely a good starting point. And then you could always utilize them. So Ad Zombies did some copywriting stuff before too. And I think it was, I think it was fairly cheap, which is, which is nice. Gotcha. Well, that's definitely some helpful resources for people that are just kind of at the beginning stage. And for those who are at the looking to take that next leap, like they've maybe had some success or they've had, you know, maybe kind of break even, but not huge success. And they're looking to say, hey, I want to get serious about cold traffic and making it work for my offers. And I've already got a back end. And right now we're just feeding off, of, let's say, referrals and organic. But we want, we want someone to help us figure it out. What's a great way to have someone get in touch with you? And do you have any kind of pre-qualifiers of what that person would ideally look like? Like where they're at in their stage of their business and then how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, I think the easiest way right now is the email at uh, bailey at expertsagency.com, uh, expertsagency, um, or Instagram too. So even if you want more advice, I have a bunch of content I put out on Instagram. 
Uh, for some reason, people like cars way more than content on Instagram. But uh, that's B A I L E Y underscore P R O U L X. There's some cool content back there. Either one of those, you can get in contact with me that way. Uh, in order to work with us, though, we have a $15,000 a month minimum ad spend. So as, as long as you're at that point or somewhere close to that point, if you're at 10K a month, typically we'll, we'll take a look at it and see if it makes sense. Uh, but even if you don't know where to go, I mean, we have a few connections as agencies. I don't trust a lot of them, but there's some that I do trust that offer things that we don't offer that are a little bit lower budgets too. So if you're not at that point, we can probably still figure out a way I can, I can help push you to a certain direction. But yeah, that's, that's kind of our qualifications there. And I have a bunch of free content too. So if you are managing media buying or you have a person on your team, that content is better than most of the stuff you'll find out there. Because it's, you know, we spend millions a month and that's that's what we do. So <laughs> cool. So generally you want to find someone who's already spending some amount of money on ads and then you want to like really optimize the, the optimize and scale it. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I figured that I, I considered us the, the scaler. So like you have a business going, you've been spending money, you've been making some money, but like you might be at like a 1.5 or 2x row ass and you're looking to one, make more money and two, actually scale. So at 15K, that's still a little bit on like our low side. But we're experts at, okay, you want to go from 15K to 50 to 100 to 200 without increasing your costs. And that's really where we specialize in, which is why that question came up earlier. But we do have a lot of things that we can do, like scale without increasing costs, but that's like a whole course in and of itself. But that's where we focus. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Um, for those of you who are you know, looking to scale and, and take it to the moon, right? As everyone wants to do with their ads, you should definitely hit up Bailey. And uh, if you're lower, you know, lower on the, the whole process, then definitely check out those, you know, Jarvis and uh, ad zombies and whatnot for some creative ideas. So thank you so much, Bailey. Perfect. Appreciate it, Travis. 